people will often say they make a buying decision based on a gut feeling or reaction. It's probably more likely that they will do that for the initial reaction or engagement, but it's much more likely that a lot more thought and activity happens before that final sale is made. With so much technology available at our fingertips, we have a lot that can help us. With the way of marketing these days, there's no reason not to look at your data and actually have some evidence and some science to back up what you're doing. That is my guest this week, Stephanie Real, a brand strategist and marketing consultant and the founder and CEO of Real Deal Marketing. In our conversation, Stephanie shares much more about using the data to drive our marketing and branding. And she also delves into the psychology of the colors that we use or choose. Stephanie is also a big fan of Pinterest as a lead generation tool that keeps on working for her clients for years versus the seconds or minutes of most social media posts. So consider it more of a connection and a combination of Google and that search, that robust search platform and social media. But it's a positive platform. People are actively planning for the future. This episode will have you rethinking how you approach your marketing, perhaps even putting on your lab coat from, for some data analysis. And be sure to listen to the end for Stephanie's special offer to podcast listeners. Welcome to the Personally Brandtastic podcast, where we help you build your personal brand and business so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. If you're looking for the REI branded podcast, you are actually in the right place. We recently renamed it, but the content is the same, helping you to build your brand and business, reach more people and stand out from the competition. My name is Paul Kopkin, and every day I work with real estate investors, professionals and business owners who want to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right opportunities without feeling inauthentic or spending all day doing it. It's all about communicating how personally brandtastic you are. Because marketing is how to get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. Stephanie, welcome today. Thank you for joining us. I was kind of fascinated when I looked at your profile and you talked about the psychology of color. So there seems to be science behind branding. So perhaps we can kick off and you could tell us a little bit about what that means. Yeah, we're going to dive right in. I love it. There definitely is. I think that whenever we're talking about branding, so often when we're starting a brand, we might just pick our favorite color, but it's so much deeper than that. And really there is an intent and in psychology behind it. For each color, our brains intercept and read colors, just like they read fonts and expressions on people's faces and, and things like that to really understand and get some of that subliminal messaging. And so that same thing happens with colors and how our brain perceives that information. So there's certain colors that are known to evoke more trustworthy feelings or feelings of security. You've probably seen a lot of the major big tech companies and banks using this color, which is blue. And then everything else from having more of a secure, more of a kind of a modern feel versus the different colors that you want to have for excitement or for being taken seriously, optimism or excitedness. And really everything in between. And we could go on all day about all the different feelings and, and main messages. But I think that there's definitely that intention behind the colors that's often missed in branding. Is it better then for people to pick a color that 
does evoke that emotion versus my favorite color is orange, therefore I'm going to have a logo made orange or whatever it is. My professional recommendation and and opinion there is yes, absolutely. It's better to have that intention and that strategy behind it instead of just picking what you like. Especially, I think one thing with my marketing agency, we work with a lot of small businesses and we see those business owners oftentimes will pick a color that they like or something that they are interested in but they might actually not be their ideal customer. And so they're building it for themselves and not building it to show up in the marketplace who they actually want to speak to for all of their branding. So we're thinking about the main audience for this podcast is, is real estate investors. So I'm, yeah, my immediate reaction is, well, okay, trust. So trust yeah. says blue. Is there a danger that everybody decides to go blue and then they're, they're lost in a sea of sameness versus having something different? Absolutely. I think especially in today's world, things are so loud that we have to find different ways to differentiate ourselves and stand out. While blue is a very general color, if you've ever picked out a paint color for a home project, you know how many shades there are and how difficult it is to match. So there's a lot of nuance we can add in with that as well to still evoke those same emotions. And then when you build with intention and perhaps you're working with an expert to help bring that to life and, and bring those different pieces to the forefront, you can come up with a palette that can really evoke what your brand stands for, and maybe that nuance, that differentiator that you want to communicate. Maybe it's adding in some other subcolors or or an additional color in your palette that's going to help, of course, my main thought process for for knowing this audience and coming in today's conversation. Of course, there's going to be a lot of blue, but you can accent with other colors as well, depending on what makes the most sense for your brand and what you offer to your clients that makes you different. I was about to ask, so it's you can always have secondary, even third subcolors that kind of complement that that blue. And and again, I think you've really kind of highlighted when you're trying to pick a paint color. Some, sometimes it is better to go to a professional to pick a paint color than it is. It's like going to an interior designer. So what you're saying yes. is go go to somebody who who knows colors and understands how that's going to be perceived. Absolutely, and someone who can take the big picture of your brand into mind. Because yes solid graphic designer, they're going to be able to lead you in the right direction. But a lot of times what falls flat is you might miss the rest of the brand strategy or the messaging too, because there's all those different layers that can really build that cohesiveness for a brand. And so it's a bigger, it's one part of a bigger picture. So what are the other kind of key elements that you kind of focus on when you're building a brand around a color? What, What are the other things that you talk to people about? Well, first and foremost, whenever we're talking about anything branding, we talk about who their ideal customer is. It's not about what the business owner or the individual who's creating the brand. It's really not about them, which can be a little a little hard to hear sometimes. But it's truly, if you're working on a branding piece, you want to show up in the marketplace and attract your audience initially. That's, of course, going to be with those visuals and that colors. It's also going to be with the words you choose and the language that you use. So your messaging, that story the why behind your brand, and then even your fonts, because there's a color psychology of what different fonts mean too. And it all can layer on top of each other to create a really solid and cohesive brand look. And I'm assuming you're you're going to say that consistency is important as well. So knowing that palette color or knowing that that font, because I've, I've seen very often, and you've probably seen it as well, is, is somebody says, oh, well, that's, that's a kind of, that's a, that font's pretty close. Or oh, that's oh. that that colors <laughs> that colors okay. It's it's pretty close, but that that's not what you want, is it? Because then no, that- it isn't. 
I mean, even the intention you'll see on the screen today, and for anyone who sees a clip of this at any point, our background is has pink in our branding. I'm wearing a hot pink blazer that matches my branding. That was all intentional. If I'm ever doing a speaking engagement, I'm talking to groups of entrepreneurs or speaking on stages at events, I'm always wearing that pop of pink. I've done that for 13 years. That's consistent, but it also, with this specific magenta color, it's known to evoke the feeling of excitement or creativity and passion and ideas. And that's exactly what I wanted our marketing agency to represent and stand out for when we were creating things way back when and as we've evolved over time. But that is, you're right, that consistency of not only the colors that you're wearing, the colors that you're showcasing in your marketing collateral, whether it's your website, your social media, how are you showing up on email? The one thing that I always tell clients is that confused customers don't convert. And so if we have a lot of confusion or we're using red here and blue here and then yellow on something else, people are going to get really confused. And in today's noisy marketplace, they're going to jump ship and go to another provider that makes it really clear and simple for them. It's funny. I went to my first networking, in-person networking event last week for for two years. So yeah. it's, and so I wore my traditional kind of blue, bright blue shirt, but I forgot to wear my teal. So I have a secondary color, which is teal. So I have teal converse. And the funniest thing was that the first person I bumped into at the networking event, who I knew, said, where's the shoes? <laughs> so at least the consistency had been implanted in them, but I'd forgotten because two years and you kind of rush out. And I even rushed out without business cards, slap wrist. But... <laughs> We're all a little rusty getting back into it in this post in this post pandemic feel of getting back to live events. So right. but that is great. It's a great indicator and great feedback that what you have been doing to brand yourself is working. If somebody recognized that and wanted to know where your shoes were. Good job. I had a question that's come to me as you were talking. Somebody comes to you with an existing brand and color, and you kind of look at it and go, oh, no. <laughs> um, how, well, A, how do you handle that? And B, would you, would you say to people, yes, you should change the color, and these are the reasons why? What are your thoughts around that whole kind of – because somebody could be really attached to that brand and look and feel. It can be a challenging conversation, but we always go back to the data. So what is the foundational signature piece of our process is what we call a brand diagnostic. And it really is kind of taking that inventory of the brand, taking a look at Google Analytics, taking a look at at least the last three months of marketing campaigns or three months of data that you have if, if your ha marketing hasn't been as active recently. Looking at the analytics and the results from those efforts, whether that's social media or email seeing what's the composition of user that's coming to your website. What are What is the demographics being pulled from that, whether that's from Google Analytics or your individual website hosting goal. They usually always have at least some visibility that we can get for that. And then getting a really clear picture of who the brand's ideal customer is and making sure that they're in alignment. Because I think so often it isn't when there is that attachment. And it can be a difficult conversation, but with 13 years of experience doing this behind my belt. And this is the part of my business and what I do every day that I'm so passionate about because it can make such a difference. And it's such a, it's it's that first impression for the brand. When they see your colors, they understand and they get that feel even without even saying it. And so often, if it wasn't built intentionally to start, those colors can be way off from what we really want to convey and can repel our audience. 
And so we leverage that brand diagnostic. It's a one-time, one-time fee. It's that initial piece for us to really get a lay of the land, understand what's working in the marketing, what isn't, flag what's next or what opportunities we need together. And that is really our vehicle for that conversation. Even if it can be challenging, there's a great way to, to leverage data and just have, have a really honest, frank conversation with, with the individual of why we're recommending taking a different direction. Thank you. And I noticed as well that you're, that you're big on data as well. So tell us a little bit about what are the kind of things that somebody needs to be thinking about when it comes to data and what do they need to be looking at? Yes, absolutely. I think with, with the way of marketing these days, there's no reason not to look at your data and actually have some, some evidence and some science to back up what you're doing. Being in this industry for 13 years, I've gone from the days where it was really hard to track data to so now it makes it so simple, especially for, for websites or any of your digital or online properties, your email campaigns, and really a great place that I often find entrepreneurs miss out and don't have in place for their websites is Google Analytics. It's a free tool and it gives you so much information. And really, that's a key part of our strategy and structure for any client. doesn't matter if it's ongoing social media management or if it is a branding project or if it's a brand new website for a client. We're digging into the data first because that data can really inform us on who exactly is the audience that's already engaging with your brand, what pages of the website are they coming to. And there's Google Analytics is such an awesome tool to do that because you can dive down into user behavior and activity really quickly. Similar things you can use data-wise, even if for any social media accounts you may have or your email lists checking beyond the open rate and looking to see what your audience is actually engaging with in your email. What are they clicking on? What's the click-through rate look like? Then being able to back that up and take that down the funnel. Okay, now that they clicked on it and they're on my my offer or they're on my blog or whatever that link is going to, or they've they've gone to see this new property that's coming up and they're they're interested there. How long did they stay on the page? If they're jumping right off, that could be an issue with your content on the page there too. So the data is really endless and I could go down a whole rabbit hole, but I hope that that answered your question a little bit with a little peek of at least some of those immediate data points that I think would be really valuable for your audience too. And when you're looking at that, that kind of data, what are the kind of things that do you think that turn people off, that stop people clicking, that stop people spending time on, on websites? Because as you said earlier, it's a noisy world. We've got plenty of options and time is limited. So what are the Absolutely. things? Absolutely. When you nailed it right on the head there with time, the easier that we can make things for our intended audience, whether that's how many clicks or how many form fields they have to fill out to submit an inquiry or to, to get a contact, we have to keep it as frictionless as possible. And I think that if we are really honest with how we engage online, I don't know about where you live, but I'm in Arizona and even at the gas station, there are advertisements that are playing now while we're pumping gas, right. which is just incredible. We are so inundated with messages here and there. And the more friction that there is, the more likely someone's going to jump off that page and go somewhere else. So for, for a potential lead and an inquiry, if we have them filling out a form to go into your customer relationship management tool, we have to make that form as simple as possible, gathering the absolute minimum information that we need that we can then take it to the next step. Because if we ask for too much information up front, a lot of times we won't be as successful. Now, there's a little bit of nuance with that, of course, as well, with where they are at in the funnel, your very first interaction with a lead versus if you've met with them already, that you can ask for more from there. But 
the whole goal with branding and marketing is to build trust and to build that relationship. And I'm sure you've heard that saying before, people do business with people that they know and trust. And that's what we use branding and marketing for is to build that knowing, liking, and trusting. And if people don't already have that relationship with you and it's a brand new lead funnel, lead opt-in, they're not going to give you all the information. They're going to hop off and go somewhere else to get a free resource somewhere else that might only ask for, say, an email address from them or their phone number to, to send them a text message versus getting all the details up front and asking for a little bit too much before they have a chance to get some value from you first. And when you talk about value, what are the things that you're seeing that are working to convert people to quite often is the first thing is some kind of lead magnet, so a free report or a guide. I always say to people, I've downloaded hundreds of eBooks, but I probably haven't read five of them. You think it's attractive, you think it's a great piece, but then you put it into your folder and then it disappears and then you, you don't remember. So what, what are you seeing that's working right now? Well, I think absolutely that that user interest of, oh, that sounds like a great offer. I'm going to download that. That's great, but the work doesn't stop there. I think that that's the, those lead gen offers can still be really valuable, but then we have to nurture them over time because you're right. Most people, I mean, I don't even know how many I download in a day and I'm in this industry and I don't even open them up again or they're in my download folder somewhere for me to find some rainy day, if that ever, ever happens in, in our quote unquote free time. But that is an amazing opportunity. If somebody trusts you enough and feels that there's value in that content, you can then nurture that relationship with whatever contact information they've given you, whether it's a phone number or an email and either have drip and automated funnels that are going to go and give them little kernels of information along the way to help build that relationship and stay top of mind. That's really where that missing piece, I think a lot of times is we put out that lead funnel, the lead magnet and okay, great. Everyone's just going to flock to it. But it's that, again, that consistency, but any different touch points that we can continue to nurture and stay top of mind in this noisy world. That's how we can stand out. What are you finding in terms of social media platforms? What's the best one for businesses to get on first? Because again, I see people, oh, well, I need to be on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and da -da -da, and then they, they don't do any of it well, or they try and do it all. And then a week later, they've stopped because it's too much. Are you a real estate investor or a related business professional or owner looking to build your personal brand and business and stand out from the crowd? The first step is to understand where you stand right now. You can do that with the Business Optimizer Assessment. It's something that we've created that's already helped real estate investors and other business owners to define and develop their personal brands and grow their revenues. Take the free assessment and complimentary report and follow-up strategy call by going to paulcopcut.com forward slash B-O-A. That's paulcopcut, C-O-P-C-U-T-T.com forward slash B-O-A. Now back to the show. Yeah. And the list keeps on growing, doesn't it? I mean, it's like every week there's a new tool to keep up with or a new app. But I think the way that it always makes sense, and again, I'm going to bring it back to the data, it can be a little bit different for every business, even in the same industry, depending on the nuance of the brand and that differentiator. I know so many people are talking about TikTok right now, and there is a lot of opportunity on TikTok. I'm not here to say there isn't, but I... I've been saying for a long time, I'm also not here to tell you that you have to be on TikTok either. I think that there are ways to really 
make the most out of your content for your audience. The reality is we are seeing a great, a great amount of growth in that entrepreneur range on TikTok. We're finding that entrepreneurs are going to TikTok to escape reality a little bit and just be entertained for a little bit. And that can be a really great opportunity because it is not as saturated as the Instagrams and Facebooks of the world where we're dealing with a lot of different challenges of visibility, censorship, the algorithms that are really more at play there that are making it harder to compete, especially if you don't have a paid advertising budget. But but I think that it's finding what works for you or what feels natural for you as the content creator and going all in on that and being consistent there. And I'm guessing you're going to say the underlying part of that as well is then look at the data because great if you've got a post that goes viral and a, a million people like it, but if none of that converts... Sure. So what? I mean, good well, for yeah. the e- good for the ego, but not much else. Great for the ego, but I love to call those vanity metrics. Those aren't going to keep the bills, the lights on. They're not going to pay bills or do anything else to really keep that business of yours running. It's it might make you feel good for a minute, but you know we have to have something actionable from it. And I think that's one thing everyone talks about going viral. It's today's version of being on the Oprah Show back in the day, where everybody wanted to get on Oprah, but. I think that what we often miss is if there's not a way for those million people that see that TikTok or that reel or are engaging on your LinkedIn post or whatever it might be, if we don't have a way for them to take action and continue to connect with you offline, off of those, off of those social media channels, you're missing an opportunity there. Because as I'm sure so many on so many listeners will understand, social media is really like building on a land lease. We don't own the platform. Yes, we own our account but they could turn off the accounts tomorrow and you have no way to continue to connect with your customer. So it's definitely a great visibility step. It's a great step at the top and the beginning of the funnel where you're going to be able to boost that visibility and drive that awareness for your brand. But we have to have a way to get them into your actual customer relationship tool, get their email address or phone number, however that works in your consistent flow. And then give them value over time to be able to really capitalize on that viral moment if you're going after that too. And you're talking about getting people back to either your website or something that you own, you then control, be it an email list. Yes. That personal one-on-one relationship because social media is great for building that visibility. And there are some people, I mean, early in my career, I worked for a construction technology company and we started a relationship on Twitter that then turned into a multi-million dollar contract. But at that time, and that was in 2010, a little while ago, but it it can happen. But it definitely, with it being so noisy, we have to find other ways to get those conversations off of those social media platforms and onto what I called your owned, or what are often referred to as these owned, your owned media platforms of your website, maybe your email list, if you're doing text message marketing, and then having consistent branding and consistent messaging through those methods too. And what about paid advertising? What are your your thoughts on that? It's challenging now. It has gotten a lot more challenging. I've been in the paid ads game for over a decade. And in the last year and a half has been some of the, the most challenging times that we've seen, but we're also seeing it and crushing it for some of our clients too. I think that there's a lot of opportunity out there. If you can give it anywhere from three to six months, and know that going into it to really see what's happening because there's unfortunately on the Facebook and Instagram side there's a lot of there's been a lot of changes with the data and the platform itself of how they're even reporting data which is making it 
take a little bit longer to see results. We used to be able to know within 24 hours if a campaign was working or not. And now that's just not the case. We are needing a little bit more time for our clients. But I think there's definitely opportunity there. I have a couple of clients and colleagues that are really crushing it on TikTok as well, because the cost per ad spend is definitely a lot lower and the visibility is really great. And even LinkedIn is a platform that we're seeing a lot of opportunity with. But don't forget good old Google AdWords, depending on your keywords you're going after and your specific niche in your industry, it could be a really a missed opportunity for some brands too, depending. That's interesting you say about LinkedIn because I, I think it probably depends. I'm guessing it depends on your client and, and the, the value of what they're selling because LinkedIn is quite an expensive option. It is. Isn't? Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. definitely Instagram and Facebook are still on the lower realm. They've gotten more expensive, which everybody's up in arms about, but it's definitely more cost-effective than LinkedIn really traditionally has ever been. And that still rings true. But yeah, it depends on the offer and really what your ideal cost per lead is too. There's certain platforms that might make sense versus others. And again, we have to run all the data and find that out for each each individual case. Kind of, it's so funny. By no means a doctor, but it feels a little bit about like running blood work, doing a diagnostic (laughs) and really understanding what's going on. And then taking that three to six months to to do the protocol and then and then retest and and verify that data from there too. I, I like the analogy. That makes a ton makes a ton of sense. I'm so proud that I'm <laughs> comparing myself to a doctor. That's I great. knew she was going to be a doctor. I knew she was <laughs> what about Pinterest? Because I know that's a, a channel and a social media platform that you talk about and and I didn't realize until I heard it on a podcast actually just just a few months ago that Pinterest has quite a good advertising option, which yeah. I mean, I can't remember the last time I went back to Pinterest. So tell us, tell us why you like Pinterest. What are the opportunities there? How could a real estate investor potentially use it? Absolutely. Pinterest, what I love about Pinterest more than anything is it's not just a social media tool. It's really social search. So consider it more of a connection and a combination of Google and that search, that robust search platform and social media. But it's a positive platform. People are actively planning for the future. So they might, I think traditionally, Pinterest got connected with recipes and DIY and maybe some fashion and more of an audience that was geared towards there. But actually the fastest growing demographic that's joining Pinterest is the male 40 to 60 year old demographic, which is quite interesting. But the truth is in the data also, that was a very underserved demographic on the platform before. So of course, they're going to be growing fast when when the other, the other side of the coin there. But The amazing thing about Pinterest is because it's all search and activity-based, you can get in front of your audience when they're actively searching for you. For real estate investment specifically, there's a lot of those different training guides and tools, lead gen, some of those different reports or freebies that you're already offering. Anything with a link you can leverage on Pinterest. And the thing that I, I love the most about Pinterest is that it's not just like Instagram or Twitter, where your average lifespan of a tweet or or a a post on Instagram is about, is from six seconds to six minutes, six seconds on Twitter, six minutes on Instagram. But we see some of our best performing content for our clients three, four, five years ago. And those pins are still working to drive traffic for our clients and for ourselves. And so you do it once and it can work for you really long-term because it is a longer lead platform. We see people go engage with content and then three, six, nine, 12 months from then, really taking action from there because they're actively planning towards the future instead of being 
so caught up in the moment. Just for the people that don't know Pinterest as well, can you explain what it is people are doing on there that you're saying they're planning for the future? Because I'm immediately thinking, okay, real estate investors are selling the real estate investments. But for that, the ultimate goal for somebody is creating generational wealth, maybe quitting the nine to five, living a life they want to live, doing having experiences. So would, would that be the kind of thing that you could encourage or that's what people might be searching for or collecting? So what are, they're collecting boards. Is that correct? Is that so? It- Yes, they're collecting different pins. That's what the individual posts are called on Pinterest. And then they're adding them to different boards. And so most people create boards based on different areas of interest for them. Maybe it is their side hustle. Maybe they they work currently and they want to leave the nine to five and they want to get into just really having that financial freedom of being able to do what they want to do. Maybe they're maybe they really want to learn that real estate investment side and figure out how to even start if it's whether what's better for them, an Airbnb property or a traditional multifamily unit or home. Maybe it's something where you're talking about some of the tips or the ways that you can truly create generational wealth. Those would all be topics that you could leverage on Pinterest in the graphics that are there. Those are called pins. And then the way that Pinterest works is everything goes back to a link. So often... I think a natural fit or people think of e-commerce as being Pinterest-based because of the individual service links and the or digital products. But we've actually been leveraging Pinterest for service-based businesses and getting really great results, all because of the links that we're sharing. So things like that for that five ways to set yourself up for generational wealth today. Maybe that's the pin you link to then an article or a blog or or a free resource that you've developed that's on your website that then you know either educates so if it's if it's a blog article or some free resource that would educate or if it's a freebie behind a behind a lead capture you're grabbing their email address or phone number in exchange for giving them a download or whatever that might be you can link all of those on Pinterest and then people go through and they're actively searching and planning for the future so like at the time of this recording it's may People are on Pinterest right now and, and things for back to school and the fall season are already starting to trend and pop on Pinterest. People are planning in advance. So actually those generational wealth or you know how to leave your nine to five kind of angles would work really well because people are actually searching and they're using it just like Google. And the awesome thing for the last couple of years, this is a secret, but Pinterest pins are actually coming up in Google search results. So if you've ever used Google Alerts to find out about your business or your brand, we do that for all of our clients and for our own brands. And we, for the last about 11 months, is probably when we first saw it, the the pins themselves that we've pinned years ago are coming up in Google search results as well now, which means that they're being picked up as newsworthy and they're coming up in different active searches online as well as some of those search categories. So you're able to tie in different keywords. Maybe it's generational wealth tips or the ins and outs of your first rental property, rental property tips, rental property secrets, and other keywords, actually probably similar to what you're already doing on your website, and then developing copy content for those from there. And you mentioned multifamily, and I'm suddenly thinking if somebody's specializing in multifamily, they've got the opportunity to, to put content out there. It's interesting. Okay, that's, that's good to know. I'm walking away from our conversation and what I'm really hearing and underlying from you is data. Take a step back, look at the data. 
final pieces of advice if if you were talking to a real estate investor what are the things that they should first think about if they're considering okay i need to look at my brand or i don't really feel i have a brand what are the things that you would suggest yeah. well i think the advice for someone who needs to take a second look at their brand or somebody who doesn't have a brand yet is a little bit different but if you already have a brand and you're like oh my gosh i need to take a look at everything take a deep breath first and take it step by step because there are definitely there are definitely tools and systems out there that can help you and while i don't typically recommend diy only because it can get you into that rut of of making a decision based on what your preference is and and being so close to the brand so really bringing in that expert that third party that that can focus on those pieces but there's a way to to look at each piece and to really understand and really truly the the proof is going to come out in your sales and and what's happening there if you're not attracting the right people you already know that and it could be that your brand is misaligned taking that honest inventory might be that very first step for that business owner and if there's an investor out there who doesn't have branding set up yet, you got to get some branding set up. We got to we got to talk. We can we can help you. We can help if you already have an existing brand and need a refresh. We love working on those projects too. But I think if you're starting with a clean slate, I would urge and really strongly recommend doing it intentionally, doing it the right way the first time so that it can serve you for years to come instead of doing it DIY maybe using Canva to create your own logo and come up with some colors. And But if you don't have that full picture or you're not building with the end in mind, that branding isn't going to serve you in a year, much less in 10 years. And you're going to just have to redo it then anyway. And then you're running the risk of causing confusion for your ideal customer and what you're really all about. A great opportunity either way to take a look and get really clear that you can see those measurable results from there. And you said it very early on when we started talking, confusion doesn't convert. I think yes. ev- everybody yeah. can take that away and and pin it to the front of their forehead. To Absolutely. Keep in mind. What about a favorite personal brand and why? I think I have for a long time been a follower and a fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. I think on the personal brand side, I think that he's done it really right with, I've been following him since his wine library days back in 06, read his first book, Crush It!, and, and really was just captivated and have been following his journey ever since. And I think on a small scale, entrepreneurs of any kind and business business people of any kind can take a lot and learn a lot from how he's developed content over time and, and that philosophy of giving, 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 and then asking after you've built up that relationship. And so I think that that is one brand. When you say personal brand, Gary always comes to mind for me because he's been such a big impact. And I think that he just there's a lot of things that he does really right from a marketing perspective where it doesn't feel it doesn't feel salesy or off-putting and it really helps you build that connection and that strong consistent branding too. He's always true to himself. Yeah, very true, very authentic. And I think the other thing is for people is a lesson is around evolving because I mean he yes. has he has gone exactly to say from that if you ever get the chance uh, for the people listening check out Gary Vaynerchuk Wine Library TV look for the first episode or two. And he's like this very young, raw, green, naive kid that stuck a camera in front of himself and did some wine tasting. And now look what he's doing. I, I don't know exactly. how big Vay- VaynerMedia is, but it's uh, hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars. Yeah. It's incredible. What about it just a favorite? the power of consistency. It does. It does. <laughs> what about a favorite uh, business book or podcast? 
one of the most impactful business books that I have read. It's a, it's a small little book, but it was The E Myth. And I'm, I'm going to blank. Mike Over. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I know it's a Michael, but I don't, I never, I knew I was going to blank on his last name. But, you know, I think reading that book a couple of years ago helped me really change the way that I was building my business. Cause I started my business at 23, had really, to be honest, no idea what I was doing, but knew it was the path that I wanted to ultimately take. And I lived and did it solo. I was, it was a side hustle and it was before a side hustle was cool, but it was, I was solo and I, I ran it as a solopreneurship for almost a decade. And so changing that mindset and changing the way I was showing up for the business to treat it like a business and not that I was the business was a huge shift. And that book helped me really get there. Yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, thing with Gerber's book, I mean, he was, I don't, he's got to be 20 years old at least, that book, probably more. I, I think the interesting thing is you hear people talking about it now and saying, well, if you're, if you're just running, if you're just working in the business, then basically you're a freelancer. I mean, you're yeah, not really exactly. an you're not really a business owner. Exactly. You're a freelancer, and it's it's that mindset switching from working in the business to on the business. The yeah. huge huge difference. Do you have a favorite tool that, or a, a tool that you're using right now, a new tool that you're really enjoying using? This is the hardest question because we are all about the tech tools right. and <laughs> really implementing and doing all the automations, everything that that I was sharing for those different pieces of the puzzle. That's what we do for our clients. And we always stay on top of those tech tools. I think one tool that we've been using that's actually helped us a lot for our team, we're a fully remote team. And so it helps us a lot is our fireflies.ai. It's an automated assistant that joins Zoom calls, records the audio and helps us keep track of things on the back end. You can also implement different short phrases and it learns your habits over time. So it then starts to categorize different action items, things that are needed for the call. And really, it's really been an awesome tool for our our team to use. I really do love it. Mm, I'm going to check that out. It's, it's, that's the worst thing, isn't it, about being in, in marketing is the shiny object, the next... Always the shiny route. object syndrome. I know, always. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had somebody recommend probably about six, nine months ago, a tool called SaneBox. I don't know if you've heard of it. Oh, I have not heard of that. So SaneBox is AI driven and it it goes through your inbox. So when you first upload it, it actually goes back through all your emails. So all your uh, all your deleted emails, your, your spam, everything. And it takes, I, when I uploaded it, it took 17 hours to process in the background. Yeah, it, so goes, through, it goes through, it goes through everything. Goes through, That's amazing. And it, and it looks at what you did with it. And then it starts as in, as emails come in, it starts to categorize them in different folders. Oh my goodness. So your inbox ends up only being full of emails that you need to really take action on there. And then the rest can, so I get a, I get an email at three o'clock in the afternoon. It says, here's your same later. These are all the emails that came in that you didn't need to see, but now they, now you've got them. Here's your newsletters. They all go in a different one. Oh, that's Here's, so cool. And they've got one called Black Hole, <laughs> so, which is great, which is which is for the emails that you occasionally read, but you don't care if you miss it. So like a newsletter sometimes. Sure. or Sure. And it, it automatically deletes them after seven days. Oh, that's incredible. It's so well, worth it. <laughs> I have a new tool to look at now too. Oh my gosh. That's great. And do you have a favorite quote? I think I have a lot of favorite quotes. I think that they're 
there's a quote from, I believe it's Zig Ziglar about brand and reputation about your brand is what your brand is withstanding for you. And I'm paraphrasing, but it, it's, it's similar to your reputation and it's what people say or what people comes to mind for you when you're not in the room. And I think that especially with the brand and color psychology and everything that we were talking about today, those marketing moments that you can build with consistency, whether it's your color scheme or the messaging that you're using or your specific differentiators for what you're offering to your brand, that's something that's so important to us and to what I do every day. And that's something that we just try to keep in mind for our clients. And that quote always comes to mind for me whenever I'm thinking about anything marketing or even just keeping up with anything day-to-day life, how you're showing up, your reputation, how you're treating people, and really letting that speak for you. How can people get hold of you, find out more about you, Stephanie? You can find me on all the socials at Real Deal. It's R-I-E-L-D-E-A-L. And then our company is Real Deal Marketing. Love it. Very nice and easy. Okay. Well, Stephanie, thank you for today and the insights that you've provided. I'm going to go and take a look at Pinterest after X number of years. So that's going to be my first thing. Well, let us know (laughs) if we can help. Okay. And have yourself a fantastic day. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much. Well, was that fantastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business? So get to it. And if you're wondering where your real estate investing brand currently stands and some steps to make it more brandtastic, you can download our free REI brand checklist at reibranded.com forward slash checklist. That's reibranded.com forward slash checklist. Thank you for listening and have a brandtastic day.